This week, we're going to be talking with the one, the only, Mr. Chris Story, obviously a current practitioner, but also podcast co-host and board member extraordinaire. The training industry drove whatever it said you needed, and the customer got whatever the training industry drove. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Is threat intelligence the only language that physical and cyber security can use to effectively communicate? The how, the why, why, why are we looking forward to this topic, uh, Sean? Why is it important? And, uh, you know, can you tell us a little bit about Chris? I think it's an important topic, reason being the physical and cyber security experts working together and how they work together to solve different problems. And Chris, it's always good to hear from him. As you know, he is the co-host of Conversation in Close Protection, and he did help put together the podcast of podcasts. Indeed, and 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 that was that was a great one. And and hopefully we'll get Elijah and Byron uh, and others on to the next podcast of podcasts. And um, what's what's interesting about this topic and at this time is many of you will remember uh, Chris very kindly moderated a couple of panels at an in-person convergence event in Phoenix that I held uh, a couple of weeks ago. In person, yes, it was. And uh, we had a great uh, who's who of EP. Many, many of you will, of course, uh, know all the names. But what we actually did with the panel with uh, Chris was to look at whether or not cyber and physical would have any other reason to communicate other than to exchange threat intel. And if that was the case, it was the extension of the who you're going to call strategy, much as you don't need to be a TSCM specialist, but you need to know who to call, but maybe more importantly, why? And um, is this an emerging field? Has this always been the case? Is this the only reason cyber and physical should speak together, Sean? No, as, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's definitely not the only reason. I think we should all problem solve together. But as you said, it, it is about it's relationships and me as a security professional, you know, I have a black book of different people in different fields, whether that be providing canine security, cyber security, physical security, executive protection. You need to know who to go to, when to call them. And you should touch base with all these people throughout your time in the industry, just to keep them, the relationships going and to help problem solve in all of the areas, different areas we have. Indeed. And, and I suppose we couldn't even find out what problems we want to solve unless we speak the same language. So anyway, I'm not prejudging it. I'm not prejudging it, but I do like the idea of threat intel as a common language. Obviously, we're very grateful to Chris for his inspirational uh, co-hosting of Conversations in Close Protection, which we both we both uh, listen to. That's co-hosted uh, with Chuck Randolph. And, but, but, but I find that this is going to be a rather interesting interview, not least because, you know, over the last five years, everyone has been talking convergence, but we haven't yet seen some fruit. You know, we're not saying that one person has to be a hacker and uh, an EP specialist, a KR specialist, you know, but something has to come out of it. So I'm really looking forward to this. Let's hear from the one, the only Mr. Chris Story, co host, current practitioner, and of course, IPSB board member. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit Magazine.
Converge security and threat intelligence. Is threat intelligence the only glue or language that executive protection can truly use to basically bond with all other areas of security? We're here, Elijah Shaw and myself, we're here with Chris Story, the one, the only, who very kindly has just gotten back from moderating a panel discussion at uh, our annual Physical Cyber Convergence Forum in Phoenix in person. I, I really want to stress that. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you for the invite for this. And uh, also thank you for the invite for the uh, Physical and uh, Cyber uh, Convergence Forum uh, in Arizona. It was cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad we got it off the ground and, and so many great friends, you know, people, people have already uh, had mentions in previous podcasts, but so many great friends from the industry were, were there, which is really nice considering we haven't been able to physically meet. Mm. Um, this panel, I know you moderated a couple of panels, but this one was quite fascinating. Converged security and threat intel and mm. whether or not threat intel is some lubricant, some language, some, uh, some area of modernization for EP. What do you think is not quite right with the way EP is handling threat intel at the moment? Oh, that's a good question. So from my perspective, it would be um, essentially almost ignoring it, right? Uh, protectors as a whole tend to go, hey, I'm here, so you're protected, right? And, and we don't look beyond that 15 feet uh, area of responsibility at times. Uh, we don't look at it geographically at times. And I'm saying collectively, right? We've got a lot of professionals out there that do it, but I say the industry as a whole say, hey, look, you know, you know, I'm, I'm kind of famous for saying, I'm John Wick. You don't need to know anything else. I'm your last line of defense, right? And so I think, you know, from a threat intelligence perspective, that's all cool in the gang. But at the end of the day, if you go into a dark room, which you would rather know what can bump you in the shins and where that's located and where the light switch is located, rather than having to find your way through it, time after time again, just because it's you, really, we need to know what's going on around us and then be able to uh, create plans around that and respond to it, not just the human physical threat that's standing in front of us or, or that's known making the threats to the, to the principal. We gotta look further, we gotta look deeper so we can change the trajectory of those threats before they hit our principal. And I think that's the future of executive protection. And what about you? Where does your passion for threat intel and corporate security modernization really come from? Well. Uh, it's no secret that my background was in uh, military intelligence at first. And I think that luckily that gave me some big picture views. And so that's where my passion lies is how do we inform the protector faster so that they avoid the, the need for the response, not to say the response should go away. We still have to train for that, but, but what's about, it's really more about avoidance rather than, than, um, you know, facing the threat. That's the fantasy that we all have, but in reality. We, sh we should be, you know, practiced and very, very well-trained, highly trained and capable of uh, risk avoidance. So yeah. that's where my passion really lies is uh, protective intelligence, understanding the threat, and then relaying that to the team so that they're aware and they know what's happening. So let me ask real quick. You know, one of the things I think that's been really impressive during our interactions and, and is that you're able to communicate that well. Whereas I see some of the deficiency in teams is, because that's not sexy, that gets overlooked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how, is it a matter of making that sexy? Is it a matter of learning the proper language in order to convey that one to the team and then also to, uh, to the protectee so that they get it? How do we get everybody to buy in on this? 
Well, so that's the, that's the million dollar question, right? Because all the training pieces that we see out there are sexy. The rest of it, it really isn't, right? Um, and all of it is really designed to uh, make us look good, mm -hmm. right? So I'm the protector. I'm standing next to the boss. I'm doing all the things. I think it's really educating everybody on why you're standing next to the boss. You know, before, if you think way back when we didn't have gray hair or I didn't have gray hair, um, it was it, just being a millionaire would be like, hey, you should have protection. Right now that that now you could, you know, throw a rock down the street and, and hit four millionaires uh, without security. Um, really, it's what does it take to put the protector next to the person? Right. Not because it's a contract, not because it's in their rider, not because of these other things. But what is the essential risk element that's there that we need to be aware, aware of? And that should all be fed to us all the time. We should always be looking for those threat vectors so that we, you know, sure, it's great for me to go all ninja. But if I get cut off at the knees, I'm out of work, right? I don't get to, I don't get to stand next to the, the person anymore. So I think it's, it's understanding and maturing the, the uh, profession to say, hey, look, this is, it's all great that you're there. And, and it's awesome that we're standing next to whoever we're standing next to. But, but understand what the foundation was that put you there and look at that risk and threat intelligence to understand what can hurt you beyond that 15 yards that you're responsible for or that you find yourself responsible for. And it makes your job abundantly easier. And I think likely we'd find a lot of wins, you know, beyond that, that, 15, that 15 yards. And beyond it, beyond it lies spooky land, such as cyber. And, uh, you know, you'll love that I call it spooky because in fact, uh, many, you know, many, many things that preserve of nation states now easy peasy for uh, people to pick up. So I'd be interested, and of course, please elaborate uh, for those who were not there uh, at the Convergence Forum, Converged security is threat intel the only language that cyber and physical are effectively going to be able to speak to each other? So great question. And uh, Jason Veak had kind of coined, he kind of uh, talked about convergence being a state of mind, right? It isn't a thing, a person, a place, a group, whatever. It's a state of mind and it's, it's going like, hey, do I need to, to uh, face the threat alone? Or are there other threat vectors out there, like the scary, scary uh, cyber piece that we're just going to turn a blind eye to? And so I think that uh, really threat intelligence does become the place where we're able to have a common language because until I can speak cyber language and understand threats and threat vectors and what those might be, I don't have to understand them at a high, high level. I just have to understand what can hurt us and what can help us and what tools that are helping me, what, what brings risk to the organization. At that basic level, I need, I need to understand that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Beyond that, the threat intelligence piece is, I think, where we can start communicating. Hey, what can hurt me here? You know, what can hurt me as I'm bringing my phone into this, into this uh, environment? What can bring me as the boss's phone or collectively our, our um, group's phones or our group's laptops? You know, if I'm going to do a presentation, should, should we bring our own? Uh, should I make, should I Bluetooth it? Should I Wi-Fi it? Should I mm -hmm. use a, a USB? Right. I think you guys did an article on the US, the, the scary STD of uh, cyber world, the USB. So um, all of these things we have to understand, you know, there are multiple threat vectors. And, and as an executive protection uh, specialist or professional, I'm really and I think this goes back to your question, Isaiah. I'm responsible for all of your security, not just your personal security. And once we, once we start taking that ownership and we understand that there are cyber risks, there are health risks, there are environmental risks that we're responsible for um, as an industry. And I think we're starting to get that, right? We're growing up with that. The new crop of protectors, you know, it's, it's, it's those of us who are kind of grew up without, without iPhones and grew up without all this technology. That's the gap. 
I think we really need to continue to uh, embrace that. And that's where the threat intelligence piece kind of, kind of connects us all is that we, we have to understand, you know, what risks are the technology brings that, that the cyber can attack as we're responsible for that person that we're with. Sure. Well, I, I think you're, and you know, I've, I'll talk to the guys and say that I hated that I missed the conference there because uh, I'm sure you guys touched on it. But I think you're optimistic when you say that, you know, the, the younger generation, not to make us sound too old, get that. And, and the reason is, is that I fear, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I fear that because they grew up with the tech, maybe they don't fear it as much, meaning... Mm-hmm those privacy concerns aren't concerns for them because that's right. all they've known. If I'm, right. I'm plugged into the internet of everything all of the time, you know, what, what, what's, what's the issue? So, it, it, you know, and particularly like if we're talking about a team and, we're, we're, and, and, and you're, you're building a team and you're trying to get the team on the same page and, and trying to get the protectee on the same page, how do you mesh those mindsets? How do you take kind of maybe these old school sometimes there'll be irrational fears and combine it with that nonchalance of the new school, which is like, Hey bro, this, you know, this is what this, you know, nanotech is where we're at right now. So AI is where we're at right now. So just deal with it. Right. So great question. And, and, and I think it is a little optimistic, but I kind of defer it to being, um, instilling professionalism, right? We're both instructors. We both focus on, on security, um, executive security per se. Uh, and that's the piece that, uh, as we understand what those threat vectors are, even though it's all open all the time, I share, I share, I share, we still represent somebody else's privacy concerns. We will still represent somebody else's security concerns. So while I may be on Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, blah, 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 all the time, I have to change my own behaviors as a security person within my, with my, whatever organization I'm supporting. Right. And that's just normal. I think that's a, that's a natural, um, natural progression to, hey, here's one set of rules for work and here's one set of rules for me as a person in the profession that I choose, right? And if, the, if, I, don't, if I don't work within those timelines or I'm sorry, those constraints, then, then maybe this isn't the profession for me. I think that you bring up a great point in terms of, I might embrace tech so much that I don't focus on the hard skills either. Right. And that's the thing is that, hey, what does technology work for it? I can't I can't fight my way to wet paper bag. I can't communicate. Uh, I can't deconflict. But but I have this filter that I carry with me all the time and I just put it up and that's how I communicate with people. So I think, you know, there's a learning curve on on both sides and it'll never be perfect. But I think as we mature ourselves and as an industry, we'll learn to embrace technology and we'll find some sort of balance between tech, uh, cyber hard skills, soft skills, less filling, taste great, all that stuff that makes well-rounded protectors for the environment that we, that we find ourselves in. And not everybody's going to be in the tech space. I think we, we use the you know, Silicon Valley area as the be, end-all, be-all of, of what's happening in the world. And, and we all know that there are plenty of organizations that use uh, protectors, residential details, you know, mobile details, et cetera, that just aren't at the pinnacle of tech. So there's, there's a lot of, of lagging um, operations that are really not lagging. They're, they're really probably more center of the curve, the bell curve from the early adopters, which we'd see as, as uh, Silicon Valley. So I think there's time, right? It's just, we just, we look at that as like, oh my God, it's all happening now, but it's really a small microcosm of, of what we're doing. The piece is, is that everybody's a tech user, right? That's the, that's the hard part is that we, we just have to worry about what's in our environment now uh, so that it prepares us for what's coming down the pike in the future as far as the internet of things. Sure, I get it. Wow. And, and, and Chris, just to, to build on that, and also, I don't know if uh, you know the audience has, has 
seen or heard our uh, recent interview with Dr. Samantha Newbury, who talks about academic intelligence um, and, and its applicability in the real world, you operate very much in the real world, right? Mm -hmm. So let me ask a question that I think we brought up on the panel in the Convergence Forum, which is, all this intelligence that may or may not be the lubricant, the language, the glue to help LP, cyber, EP, corporate, all talk together. Where should it live? And, and, and what should house it, right? Everyone has a phone, but, but where should all this intel live? Does everyone need a sock? Or are you your own sock? Um, where is all this threat intel? So I think the, the piece about the threat intel is that it opens up the funnel for a lot of not threat vectors, but information vectors for us to dump all this in one, one bucket, right? And you're saying, well, where does it house or how do we house it? And I think um, phones are one option. Again, again, it depends on your business model, how much information you have, how much, how much information intelligence is being processed and where does it go? Um, oftentimes we've got organizations that get all of this information in and don't know where to put it. So it's sure. useless, right? So, so the idea is to right-size that information flow with, uh, which is the, probably the hardest part of, of all of of where to put the information is how do I right size the inf information flow in and information flow out? What is it? What is intelligence and what's just information and what's usable later, right? So um, thought processes are uh, using essentially uh, things like Slack or other tools that allow you to get the right information at the right time. Um, AI is helpful, but we still need some level of analysis with a human interaction. So someone to look at all of the feeds that you're on and go, okay, uh, that, that can hurt us and then push it to you. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, because what, what we find is too much information just becomes white noise. And then we miss the needle in the haystack because we're getting showered by hay. Um, so I think that uh, the GSOC or version of it, and, I, and I'm, I'm hesitant to say GSOC now because I think GSOC has really become a kind of like a buzzword, if you will. Most organizations have a GSOC, a command center, whatever, and it just manages their CCTV, their access control, and a couple other small functions. Really what we're looking for is risk intelligence. <clears throat> Excuse me. Again, what can hurt us, what can help us. So the GSOC becomes a function of that risk intelligence center, but really we're looking for intelligence. What can hurt us, what can help us? So I think getting that information in, it could be remote, it could be on site, depending on your business model and your business, but really the, the more, most important piece is, yes, it gets housed in, but it's gotta be, be able to be pushed out in a manner that it's uh, digestible, uh, actionable, and, and uh, not the news. If you're sending me the news, it's too late. <laughs> um, so those are the pieces that I think, the where is, it could be remote, it could be on site, it could be somebody in your vehicle, you know, in, the, in, the, in a follow vehicle that's, that's got um, access, and a laptop and can push information to you, um, you know, while you're inside the venue. So does that mean everyone needs to go through basic threat internal training as if they were in the military? Well, from my perspective, yes. Right? I mean, you know, uh, we, we go through the formations and, and, you know, operations and advances and et cetera. I think, you know, threat intelligence is, is just the next step. Well, and, and I guess that's the, the piece that, you know, I look for the solution for which is how do we how do we push per, particularly the new protectors that are entering the industry into that realm? You know, you you see the schools that are out there, and mm -hmm. the schools you know have to market the sizzle. It's just you know part of marketing and promotion. But yep. how do you how do you make this attractive enough that someone says, okay, I'm gonna invest my time and I'm gonna invest you know the, the monies into an area like this? 
when it wasn't front and center for me in the first place. So you have said another, another challenging question for the industry. I think part of that is, is identifying people who are interested, first of all, changing, changing the requirements at the, at the user end, right? Um, uh, that's what drives training. Right. What we found so long for forever is that the training industry drove, you know, whatever it said you needed and the customer got whatever the training industry drove. So operations should drive training, not training drive operations and then this big operational gap. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, is identifying folks that, um, well, first off, a lot of what we do in the training industry is selling the sexy but packing a lot of the, the required items in between it. Because if, if you really uh, wanted to train somebody in what the daily life of an executive protector was, you wouldn't give them an exercise where your arrival departures, arrival departures, attack on principle. You'd put them in front of a, of a door and say, <laughs> only one person comes through. Here's what they look like and here's their badge. Nobody else comes through. I'll see you in eight hours, right? Mm -hmm. Well, nobody's going to pay for that. Sure. So you, like with most uh, training courses or schools, you, you have the sexy but you put in the required training, the things that you need to know um, as, you, as you go. And you, you understand you're connecting them with, with uh, employers that are requiring those, those uh, skills uh, in the field. And I think that's, we've got to work with the, uh, with the employers and those employers that have those requirements. I think sooner or later, it'll just be, it'll become a thing. Yeah. You know? Nobody asks you if you went to an advanced class, if you went to name your school, they just assume that you've done it, right? Yeah. And so I think, um, educating employers, educating other folks on, on what it is that you do and why, I think that becomes important as well. And then it'll just become, it'll become, uh, uh, like it's always been, right? Here's what you need to know. The next piece is, is that we, we often see, uh, these kids that have a lot of aptitude for it. You know, there's probably about 10% in the class there's, you know, in, in classes that I've seen, there's oh, hey, bro, I'm just, I'm just a body guy, bro. That's all I'm going to do. Uh, okay. But the, but the ones who are like, um, hey, what are you doing on your laptop? Oh, I just found out that we just got hacked. Okay, come here, you. Right, that's the, those are the ones that you can say, hey, look, you know, we're going to find a spot for you because I think you can add a lot of value. Sure. It's almost as if you've got to imagine yourself in a family office. And I mentioned that because when we had uh, Simon Rossette on and Kate Bright, uh, we were always talking about the fact that you sign up for one job, but you've got to have the attitude to do anything. So right. you could be the iPhone, uh, you know, connoisseur, and you have to fly around the world hunting new iPhones, or you have to get some actual threat intel that's targeting your boss, right? It's, it's really that big a spectrum. And, and maybe it's an attitude, isn't it? And a converged attitude as, as in fact, you said that Jason said at the, uh, at the event. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a hunter mentality, really. Um, but I want to be able to hunt something as far away as possible so I can intercept it. I don't want it to get to my front gate to make sure that I, you know, what if I fail? What if I slip and fall or, or I'm in the bathroom when they arrive at the gate, right? So it's, it becomes that hunter mentality. What can I find out there that's, that's looking after us and hurting us? Um, we've got to be inquisitive. We've got to understand. We can't just be there. Hey, I'm just here to respond, bro. That's all I do. And I think that's the evolution of the protector. It's, uh, you know, more well-rounded, more understanding. And I think like in the family office, like you said, you, you have a myriad of jobs to do. And we want to be the person that's like interfacing with the principals or doing all the things. We don't want to, be, oh, I got to take the kids to the movies, right? I, I'm, I'm a name your ninja self. That's not what I do, but that is what you do. So understand that and then look for what can 
look for what can hurt us, be inquisitive beyond that, that, uh, that 15, 25 feet that you think you're responsible for. One of the things that you raised in the panel, and I, I love bringing back the panel because we're sort of helping everyone who was not there bring it to life, right? Um, you asked, what does threat intel not include? As in, what mm. is the limits? Because surely, obviously, uh, you, everyone has that funny story about the uh, wonderful sparkly box that people will sell a subscription to, and they go to Egypt, and the wonderful piece of news is that there are some pyramids. Um, that's obviously not threat intel. And it's obviously right. not the best, best uh, sparkly box. But in your opinion, uh, as per this uh, panel question, what does it not include? Essentially, it doesn't include um, information that's untimely, right? So if you're, like I said, if it's the news, that's not helpful. It's really what comes down to is the things, and I really hate to use this term, but, but there's really isn't an option at this point, which is actionable, right? What can affect me? Because we have different levels of intelligence, right? Different mm -hmm. levels of threat intelligence. We've got, We've got um, tactical intelligence. We've got operational intelligence, strategic intelligence. One is what's good. You know, the strategic intelligence is what can affect us at a large scale operationally, advanced persistent threats. What can I do? It's long-term. Uh, depending on how you, you scale it, we'll use operations in the center from, and not, on the, not, not boots on the ground, but, but from an operational perspective, what can impact our operations? I.e., what are we doing tomorrow? What are we doing the next day? Then the tactical piece is what are we doing right now? So if you tell mm -hmm. me something that, I, that, that is going to happen tomorrow, that might not be relevant for what I'm dealing with right now. So that's the piece that we've got to understand and figure out what's relevant to the team on the ground that's going to be used right now versus what it just becomes um, information that gets, again, it's just, you know, it's a filter. I was on a detail one time where they used a WhatsApp channel for everything. And I've been on a detail one time where, they, where they've used radios for everything at, a, at an event with 300 people. People are asking to go to the bathroom. People are asking for this and people are asking for meal breaks. And, and just, it's just white noise because you're never going to hear the call for help. So you just turn it off. You know, I think I got on the, on the detail was on the WhatsApp. It was the thing just never, you had to plug your phone in because it just never stopped going off. And nothing was relevant, right? So it's what is relevant to you on the ground. I think that's, it's really, it's, um, so you asked what's not threat intelligence. It's anything that's not relevant to me in my operation as it applies to me on the ground. That might be different from what Elijah's working with if he's in a GSOC or if he's looking, if he's doing advances. That's a completely different set of, uh, set of threat intel. Well, that is a wonderful tour de force around threat intel, converged security, uh, for EP, and of course, that wonderful synopsis of last week's event in Phoenix. In-person event, I mentioned again, in-person, because, <laughs> you know, it's a, a rare occurrence. Um, I want to ask what's new for you, and you might have noticed in the beginning, I introduced you as the one, the only Chris story, because you have many hats, so I didn't want to either miss some out or put too many on. Um, of course, you also have your conversations in close protection at, I just would be interested uh, in sharing with the audience what's new for you and conversations in CB? Well, you asked the first question, I think was, what is your passion, right? So if, if you hear me babble about uh, threat intelligence, protective intelligence, there it is, right? So um, yes, I do wear many hats, um, transition to a lot of pr uh, protective intelligence rather than executive protection, uh, focusing a lot on risk now um, with a uh, bunch of groups, you know, trying protection group, overall risk, um, anomaly management, uh, enablement, you know, all the all the name drops, but but working to uh, assist all those organizations in maturing their their uh, operations and their training and all the things. Nice. And your work with the wonderful Chuck Randolph. 
oh yeah, Chuck and I, we, he's like my, you know, he is literally a redheaded stepchild. So um, <laughs> yes, as, as a partner, we actually, uh, we actually recorded last night and we, we did a review of the, uh, the Arizona event as well. So that'll be coming out. Uh, actually that comes out today. Nice. Hey. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Well, um, thank you ever so much for joining us. Thank you ever so much for moderating such excellent panels in person. Uh, I, I, I have some select segments that we'll hopefully have on the BBA Connect app and the NABA Protector app, but, but, but I'll explain a bit more further down the line. Um, Chris, from Elijah and myself, it's been a pleasure having you on the Circuit Magazine podcast. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate both you guys. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only Mr. Chris Story. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And of course, you know, love the work that uh, you do with Chuck Randolph on conversations in close protection. I listen to it every week and I know Sean does. And, you know, what an interesting topic. We've talked convergence for many years, but what's the outcome? Is the outcome that physical specialists just don't need to be afraid of cyber? They just need to see it as another spoke, the who you're going to call strategy. But is threat intel the only language that you know, we can use to speak between the two? Or is it the only purpose that the two would have to actually speak? Um, it raises a bigger question. You know, do enough people understand what threat intel is, Sean? Well, I'm not sure they do. I mean, a lot of, we get information from so many different sources now, you know, from news outlets, from people's Twitter feeds, Facebook feeds, all sorts of manners of areas. And some people will see this as actual intelligence, where it's not. It's information that you're gaining from what people have posted. It doesn't actually become intelligence until it's been analyzed and made into actionable intelligence and the sources have been verified of where that comes from. It's true, isn't it? Because there's so much noise, there's obesity of of information out there. But that, uh, you know, sifting the SIG int, right? The old SIG int, that is a sifting process in itself. And... You know, it was great to have uh, Dr. Samantha Newby on the other week talking about academically what intelligence uh, should look like. But I think, I think if everybody understands what they're using it for and why, then they can work backwards. They can say, well, it's, a, it's come from cyber. Well, good. Now we know Dark Web for Intel, someone's chasing my principal online. Or it may be TSEM. Well, now we know someone's planted a bug because whatever. Um, or maybe it is a medical requirement. It doesn't really matter, but it doesn't have to be you. You are not the hacker. You are literally the person that convenes the threat intel for your purposes. So I like that as any as an explanation of how convergence is going. And um, obviously, love uh, every episode that uh, Chris puts out. He's got many hats. Um, of course, another hat is one of the directors of the IPSB that happens uh, every uh, December in Vegas, uh, live and in person this year. So for those who are permitted into the States and have no trouble with visas, I'm very much looking forward to that. And, and we've got, you know, tons and tons of follow-up to do uh, with the community. Talking about the community, as always, great traction on the BBA Connect app and the uh, NABA app. Um, I, I notice as well a lot going on on Clubhouse. Um, I, I don't know if that's uh, come your way, Sean. What have you been noticing out in the community and, and with the magazine uh, this week? Oh, it's been great. We're getting a lot of traction on all of the apps. Lots of subjects covered. Clubhouse is not something I've managed to delve into myself as of yet. I've seen lots of people talking about it. And there seems to be some great content there, especially US side, um, which 
I would love to get involved in. And I think it's a time difference at the moment. It is, isn't it? Because yeah, sometimes they say, hey, would you like to join us Sunday at what would be 2 a.m. in our morning? Which I get it, you know, if you're from Australia, um, if you're listening, Suzanne, or or maybe Gideon, if you're in uh, Australia, or or Joe, of course, Joe, we had Joe on uh, in Australia. You're used to people putting things at inconvenient times, so we shouldn't complain. Uh, but but it's certainly interesting to keep an eye on it because that feeds through into the app, and you know many people then start to uh, talk about uh, you know what they're doing, whether that's near term goals or, or in the future. So I really think that's something to watch. So um, Sean, what's next for the magazine? Because we say every week we're looking for some interesting contributors. Um, doesn't have to be from the normal sources, does it? Um, we, we had a uh, butler, Suzanne. Uh, very, very kindly uh, do, a, do a piece on etiquette uh, recently for the latest uh, edition. Um, what, what sort of people could we include? It doesn't have to be security related. It could be in any article that can provide benefit to those working in the industry. Like you said, we had the Butler article, which went down really well. We, we could have articles from a whole range of sources on a whole range of different subjects. One thing that would be interesting at the moment is the drawdown in Afghanistan, how that's affected people. If it's affected any of our members or readers, it'd be great to get some first-hand accounts of what it's actually been like there as the different nations have closed down their various projects and evacuated their citizens out of the country. Absolutely. And, and of course, you know, no rush if you're indeed, uh, you know, now preoccupied. But, but that, I think that would make for an interesting article. So if you know somebody as well who, who has a great testimony to tell, Absolutely. That's something, that's something very current and, you know, on the minds of many. And in a way that is a form of threat intel, or is it? It's just data until you turn it into threat intel, actionable threat intel. So I don't know, I'm playing on today's uh, segment with Chris. Um, please do check out uh, Conversations in Close Protection as well, which is a fantastic resource. Really enjoy it. Um, from Sean and myself, it's been a pleasure to talk to the one, the only Mr. Chris Story. Many hats he has, but uh, co-host, director, practitioner, you name it. I think we're going to see so much more from uh, Chris in the near future. From Sean and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.